Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 117 of the GDPR Weekly Show. We've been doing this week with guidance for occupational health practitioners on what to do after employees unfortunately pass away from COVID-19 in, with regard to release of occupational health data. We then have clarification from the Department of Health and Social Care on the COVID-19 app data retention rules on what data it retains and how long it keeps it for. And we then travel to Wales, where Public Health Wales has accepted the recommendations from an independent inquiry into its COVID-19 data breach. We then move away from COVID-19 and news that Ticketmaster has received a £1.25 million fine after its data breach. And we then travel to Germany, where one and one have won an appeal against the GDPR penalty which was imposed on them several months ago. We then have news that the Twitter data breach investigation is finally nearing a conclusion after a ruling from the European Data Protection Board. And we then travel to Guernsey, where a law firm has been fined £10,000 after a data breach. We then return to the mainland of the UK and travel to Nottinghamshire, where a major data breach has occurred at car leadership Sandcliffe, which has five dealerships across the county. And we then look internationally where 123RF has suffered a huge data breach. We then travel to Australia where Australian holidaymakers have suffered a data breach affecting Agoda, Booking.com, Hotels.com and Expedia. And we then have news of a massive data breach at Mashable. We then travel to Malta where three residents are mounting court action after a data breach that exposed details of 337,000 Maltese citizens. And then we have further news from EDPB that it's issued guidance on data transfers. And finally this week, we have news from Instagram who hope to introduce new measures to reduce suicide and self-harm once they receive clearance for those measures from the Irish Data Protection Commission, DPC, to ensure that they're compliant with GDPR. We also, of course, would like to remind you about our special episode, our live episode of the show, on Tuesday the 17th of November, so this Tuesday, at 2pm GMT, when we're going to look at the implications of the UK leaving the EU fully on the 31st of December 2020, and so what new measures you need to have in place to be GDPR compliant from the 1st of January 2021, if you're based in the UK and you either have clients in the EU, suppliers in the EU, or, or employees in the EU, and indeed vice versa, if you're in the EU and you have customers in the UK. So a really important episode of the show. We hope you'll be able to listen to it. We will broadcast it here on our normal podcast channels. But to hear it live, you need to join us on Zoom on Tuesday afternoon at 2pm GMT. And the meeting details are to go to Zoom either on your mobile device or by going to https colon slash slash zoom dot us slash join in your browser. And you then need the webinar ID and passcode. The webinar ID is 851-1483-4155. And the passcode is 722-009. So that's webinar ID 851-1483-4155. And the passcode is 722-009. There will be a brief presentation of about 30 minutes, followed by a live question and answer session. This is your chance to ask us any questions you have about GDPR and Brexit. So we look forward to seeing as many of you as possible on that session. As I say, you will be able to listen to it on the podcast channels later, 
but by joining us live on Zoom, you'll be able to ask us your questions directly. We, of course, welcome all your feedback on the show, and as always, just please email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. And finally, for our help desk, just to let you know that we now have our help desk available by telephone and not just by email. And the telephone number to ring for our help desk is 0800 808 5312. Or if you're outside the UK, it'll be plus 44 800 808 5312. Stay in. Stay safe. We begin this week with a look at the thorny issue of dealing with occupational health records of employees who unfortunately have died due to COVID-19. As you're probably aware, GDPR itself only covers living people. So as soon as people die, technically their data is not covered by GDPR anymore. But nonetheless, there is the issue of what to do if a statutory authority or an NHS body in the UK requests the release of occupational health data for someone who was employed by you and has now unfortunately passed away due to COVID-19. The Faculty of Occupational Medicine has published clarifying guidance for occupational health practitioners on a range of ethical considerations around the release of these people who have died. The guidance has been developed because, the faculty said, it had been seeing increased requests from practitioners for advice and guidance around the release of occupational health clinical records without informed consent, in part because of the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. The faculty said that in some cases the records have been requested by non-clinical staff, either human relations or lawyers, to consider issues relating to the possible legal liability of the employer. In others, a medical director or candidate guardian has been the origin of a request to support an internal investigation, and in some cases the request has come directly from the House and Safety Executive. Occupational health staff have been placed under considerable duress for urgent release and senior staff in the employing organisations have argued that they are the owners of the records and have the right to access as data controllers, the faculty added. Within the guidance, the faculty advised that occupational health practitioners should question the basis of an authority being cited as reason for the release of a clinical record. Those requesting records with appropriate authority would be expected to be able to cite the relevant legal basis under which the request is being made. It's important that just a general sweeping statement saying under GDPR is not sufficient. In the view of the faculty, wherever possible, the informed consent of the next kin should be sought. Clinicians may also seek advice from their clinical indemnity insurer or registration body. Practitioners are also advised to make sure their actions when releasing occupational health records are clearly recorded in the employee's record. It should be apparent who the records were released to, when and on what legal basis. In doing so, the occupational health professional should be able to demonstrate that they have acted in good faith and in line with expected practice. Anyone can spread coronavirus. Stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. We've had a number of requests to our help desk questioning about the retention of data by the COVID-19 NHS app. And so... To clarify this, we saw a statement from the Department of Health and Social Care who have confirmed the following with regard to retention of data by the app and by its associated systems. They say, data held in the Department of Health and Social Care security computing infrastructure will not contain direct, indirect or consistent identifiers. This means that the retention of this data should not be considered within the legal context of GDPR. However, limits for the retention of data sets and methods need to be set, even where the data does not constitute personal data. This applies to the analytical data explained above. 
Retention of records associated with the app are likely to fall into two categories. These categories are records which are used to hold organisations to account, and these records are held for eight years, and monitored communicable diseases, for example, in the COVID-19 public health emergency, which are retained for five years if they contain personal data, which is not the case in this instance, or 20 years in the case of anonymous data, which is the data which is produced by the NHS COVID-19 app. They say that retention of these records is governed by the relevant Section 46 Code of Practice in the Public Records Act and statutory duties of the organisation accountable, the Department of Health and Social Care. Most data is retained only on the user's phone. Daily codes, the ones used for contact tracing, are retained on the user's phone for 14 days and are then deleted. The reason for this is 14 days being the incubation period for the virus. Submitted daily codes are retained on the DHSC secure computing infrastructure for 14 days and then deleted. So the maximum age of a daily code that has been distributed to the DHSC security computer infrastructure is 28 days. The test codes that link your test result to your app are deleted within 24 to 48 hours. QR codes that are scanned by the user when visiting venues are automatically deleted after 21 days. The choice of 21 days takes into account the 14-day incubation period and the infectious period of the virus. The retention settings follow latest dominant advice and therefore may increase or decrease. An example, they say, if a self-isolation period recently increased from 7 to 10 days. They have also added that should any of you have any queries about the data retention under the TOPID 19 app or indeed any other questions about data under the TOPID 19 tracing app, then you can contact the DHSC Data Protection Officer, Lee Cramp, and his email is data underscore protection at dhsc.gov.uk. That's data underscore protection at dhsc.gov.uk. One issue we raised, which we've not yet had an answer to, is the question where people on low incomes are notified by the app that they need to self-isolate. Because if those people then go to their local authority to claim the £500 grant, which has been set aside for people on low income who have to self-isolate because of COVID-19, they're asked for a unique PIN number, and they can't give one because the app doesn't issue one. We do understand that the HSC understand that this is a bug in the app, and they are looking to cure it as soon as possible. But in the meantime, if that situation arises for you, or someone who contacts you, you should advise them to telephone their local authority and discuss the situation with the officers dealing with claims under the regulation. Wash your hands, keep your social distance, Wear your mask. Stay safe. Regular listeners to the GDPR Weekly Show might remember that back in episode 109, we brought you news of a data leak at Public Health Wales affecting people who were suffering from COVID-19. The independent investigation into that data breach has now concluded and Public Health Wales has accepted in full the recommendations of the investigation, which follows a data breach which resulted in the personal details of more than 18,000 Welsh residents who were tested positive for coronavirus being released online. The breach occurred on August 30th, 2020, when the personal data of 18,105 Welsh residents was uploaded by mistake to a public server where it was searchable by anyone using the site. It related to personally identifiable information on residents who tested positive for COVID-19 between February and August 2020. After being alerted to the breach, Public Health Wales removed the data on the morning of August 31st, and in the 20 hours that the data was online, it's known that it had been viewed 56 times. Tracy Cooper, Chief Executive of Public Health Wales, said 
This has been a thorough investigation and we accept all of its recommendations. We take our obligations to protect people's data extremely seriously and I am truly sorry that on this occasion we failed. Following the data breach, Public House Wales said it took immediate steps to prevent a similar incident from happening again. These included establishing an incident management team to instigate remedial actions which have already resulted in changes to its standards operating procedures so that any data uploads are now undertaken by a senior member of the team. Public Health Wales commissioned an independent investigation into the circumstances and causes of the breach following its discovery in September. The investigation, which was carried out by senior NHS Wales staff, was also asked to identify any recommendations aimed at reducing the likelihood and impact of a recurrence. Ms Cooper said that among the investigation's findings, it was reported that while the incident was a result of human error in the last step of a publishing process, the publishing process itself could have included additional safeguards. Following the data breach, we took immediate action to address this, and the recommendations contained within this report also outline further areas that we can improve to prevent such an incident happening again. The report also stated that pressure of work may have been a factor. We acknowledge that due to the unprecedented increase in demand for COVID-19 information, there has been significant pressure on the teams involved. While we've mobilised additional resources for our teams, it has been challenging to ensure there is sufficient resource in place to keep up with demand and pace required. We continue to work to ensure that our people with a greater responsibility to meet the demands of the pandemic are given the support and resources that they need. We are aware that a number of opportunities to recognise the matter as an incident requiring immediate attention were missed. We acted as soon as we became aware to address this gap and we will continue to ensure all staff fully understand their responsibilities in relation to reporting and escalating incidents including data breaches. We are committed to implementing all the recommendations outlined in the report We have produced an action plan which contains the necessary actions to implement the recommendations, some of which form part of existing plans. This will supplement the steps we have already taken to strengthen our procedures. I would like to reassure the public that the actions we have taken have led to considerable improvements aimed at preventing an incident like this occurring again. Ms Cooper emphasised that there is no evidence at this stage that the data was misused. However, anyone concerned that their data or that of a close family member may have been breached and wanting advice should firstly read the frequently asked questions at www.phw.nhs.wales and if they still have questions then email phw.data at wales.nhs.uk If you prefer you can also call Public Health Wales on 0300 003 0032 to discuss any concerns. And now the rest of this week's news. Way back in episode 38 of GDPR Weekly Show, we brought you details of a data breach at Ticketmaster. And now, at long last, the investigation has been concluded and the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, has fined Ticketmaster £1.25 million for failing to protect customer data. The watchdog ruled that the ticket retailer failed to implement appropriate security practices to prevent a cyber attack on a chatbot installed on its online payment page. As a result, nearly 10 million customers across Europe were affected by the data breach. In a statement, the ICO said Ticketmaster's data protection failures constituted a breach of GDPR. Deputy Commissioner at the ICO, James Dipple Johnston, said when customers handed over their personal details, they expected Ticketmaster to look after them, but they didn't. Ticketmaster should have done more to reduce the risk of a cyber attack. Its failure to do so meant that millions of people in the UK and Europe were exposed to potential fraud. Mr Dipple Johnston said the latest fine stands as a warning to organisations that failed to protect customer data. The 1.25 million fine we've issued today will send a message to other organisations that looking after their customers' personal details safely should be at the top of their agenda, he said. 
Chris Combermel, CEO of the Data and Marketing Association, commented this particular case sends a stark warning to organisations that GDPR compliance is both people and technology driven. In the data breach, user data was exposed following Ticketmaster's decision to host a third-party chatbot on its online payment page. Security vulnerabilities meant that attackers were able to access customers' financial details through the site. Data exposed by the incident is known to include customer names, payment card numbers, expiry dates and CVV numbers, that's the three digits on the back of the card, which makes the data really useful because then it's easy for the people who steal that data to use that those card details to transact fraudulent transactions. The ICO investigation revealed that despite repeated warnings over fraudulent activity, Ticketmaster took nine weeks to identify and address the problem. It also ruled that Ticketmaster had failed to adequately assess the risk of using a chatbot on its payment page and implement appropriate security measures to negate those risks. 60,000 payment cards belonging to Barclays customers were subjected to fraud as a result of the breach, and it's known that Monzo Bank was forced to replace 6,000 cards as a precaution. We spoke to Kingsley Hayes, a lawyer who you will know that we've used lots of times here on the GDPR Weekly Show. He's currently head of data breach and cybercrime at Keller Lankner UK. And Kingsley said this has been a long-awaited following Ticketmaster's data breach, which started in February 2018 and continued for several months. While this is a significant financial penalty, it should be noticed that the ICO has to take the economic impact of the pandemic into consideration. Therefore, Ticketmaster's fine today is significantly less than it would have been in ordinary circumstances. The breach has been identified as being caused by a third-party chatbot facility used on its payments page. While several banks tried to alert Ticketmaster of potential fraud, it took an unacceptable nine weeks for action to be taken, exposing an estimated 1.5 million UK customers to potential fraud. Keller Lankner UK is currently at an advanced stage of a high court action against Ticketmaster on behalf of thousands of affected customers with the effects of the breach causing actual and potential financial harm and psychological damage. When we have any update on that high court action brought by Keller Lankner, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Witchy Show. Important. If you have customers, staff or suppliers in the EU, GDPR is changing from 1st of January. To find out more, listen to our special live edition of the show on 17th November at 2pm GMT. To go to Zoom, either on your mobile device or by going to https colon slash slash zoom.us slash join in your browser, and you then need the webinar ID and passcode. The webinar ID is 851-1483-4155. And the passcode is 722-009. So that's webinar ID 851-1483-4155. And the passcode is 722-009. Website hosting company 1 and 1 have succeeded in winning an appeal in a court in Germany against their penalty which they were issued with for a data breach under GDPR. The German appeals court has slashed their penalty by 90%. In December 2019, Germany's Federal Commissioner for Data Protection and Freedom of Information, or BFDI, their equivalent to the UK's ICO, announced a fine of 9.6 million euros. At the time, the second largest privacy fine ever announced in Germany against one and one Telecom. The BFDI alleged that the company had failed to put in place sufficient technical and organisational measures to protect customers' data in its call centre environments. 
The BFDI says it fined one and one telecom after discovering that those contacting its call centre could retrieve customer information simply by giving their name and date of birth, which he said was insufficient level of authentication for protecting customer data. However, on Wednesday this week, a district court in Bonn ruled that because of the fault of the telecommunications service provider is minor, the penalty should be reduced to €900,000. The court said in its judgment there was no knowledge of further problems in the authentication practices in the company. Julia Zerfess, one-on-one state of protection officer, said, We welcome the decision of the regional court to significantly reduce the fine imposed by the federal data protection officer. This is a clear signal that the original fine of €9.55 million Euros was in no way related to the present individual case. Nevertheless, the amended fine is also a significant amount. We therefore reserve the right to take further legal steps after a detailed examination of the court's ruling. Based in the German city of Montebor, One-on-One Telecom is one of Germany's biggest DSL and mobile service providers. It's a subsidiary of One-on-One Drillish AG, which is one of the country's largest network independent telecommunication providers, with about 14 million customers. The company is part of the United Internet Group, which includes all other One-on-One companies, including the popular global hosting firm One-on-One Ionis. Responding to the appeals court's decision, Germany's Federal Commissioner for Data Protection and Freedom of Information, Ulrich Kauber, said the ruling validated the BFDI finding that one-on-one telecom had violated GDPR's data protection requirements by having insufficient security measures in place in its call centre. This shows data protection violations are not without consequences, he says. The case against one-on-one is the first major court case that the BFDI has handled since GDPR came into effect in May 2018. I'm convinced that this decision will be noticed in the executive floors of companies, Kalber said. I'm still waiting for the written resources for the judgment, but it's clear now that no company can afford to neglect data protection anymore. So one lesson that perhaps can be learnt from one-on-one's successful appeal is to ensure that when an organisation suffers a data breach, you rapidly investigate, assess, remediate and mitigate the incident and thoroughly document everything. These steps can give you good ammunition for appealing a large fine in court. And as always, if you need help with that, if you've been unfortunate enough to suffer a data breach and you want to make sure that you get everything you need gathered together correctly to ensure you're in the best possible position, then please don't hesitate to contact us. You can contact us by emailing helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or you can now call us by telephone too on 0800 808 5312. That's 0800 808 5312. Another GDPR investigation which has taken a long time to come to fruition is the investigation by the Irish Data Protection Commission, the DPC, into the activities of Twitter and in particular a data breach which Twitter suffered in 2019. We first brought you details of this data breach in episode 52 of the GDPR Weekly Show. This week, European data protection regulators have inched towards an enforcement decision for a Twitter breach after a majority of EU data supervisors agreed to back a draft settlement submitted earlier by Ireland's DPC, who submitted it for review by all the other data protection commissions across Europe because of Twitter obviously having a presence in pretty well every country across Europe. Twitter first disclosed the bug in its Protect Your Tweets feature at the start of last year, saying at the time that some Android users who applied its setting to make their tweets non-public may have had their data exposed to the public internet since as far back as 2014. The European Data Protection Board, EDBB, a body which helps coordinate pan-EU regulatory activity, said this week that it has adopted its first Article 65 decision referring to the mechanism for setting, settling disagreements between the EU's patchwork of data providers. 
This means that at least a two-thirds majority of the EU DPAs have backed the settlement. On 9th of November 2020, the EDPB adopted its binding decision and will shortly notify it formally to the Irish SA, it wrote in a statement. Ireland's Deputy Commissioner, Graham Doyle, confirmed that the EDPB has informed it of its Article 65 decision, but declined to make any further comment at this stage. Ireland's DPC now has a month to issue the final decision. The EDPB's statement added, The Irish Supervisory Authority to adopt its final decision on the basis of the EDPB decision, which will be addressed to the controller without undue delay, and at the latest one month after the EDPB has notified its decision. Details of what penalty Twitter may face, if any, have not yet been confirmed, but it's good to see that the end of the process in this case is now at least in sight. When we receive any update from the Irish DPC about the penalty to be imposed on Twitter, which will doubtless come from them in the next two or three weeks, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. What's up, Isabella? I'm fed up. I wish I had a new job. Have you tried Jubal? Jubal Jubal.org. We help people find jobs. Great. I will try it now. To Guernsey now, and a Guernsey-based law firm has been fined £10,000 after sharing highly confidential and sensitive information. Trinity Chambers, LLP, sent private details about an individual and their family via email and post the Data Protection Authority found. It should be noted that this is the Data Protection Authority for Guernsey, the ODPA. It said a lack of security had given unconnected third parties access to the data. The breach of data by Trinity was the result of repeated human error and investigation found. The Ballywitz Data Protection Commissioner Emma Martins said the ODPA had been disappointed by the firm's response. She said there is little evidence that the data controller in this case engaged in a timely manner with the complaint or appreciate the impact of the breach on the individuals concerned. This is especially relevant to the role that trust and confidentiality play in the legal sector. She added that the fine aimed to reflect the serious nature and impact of failing to look after personal data and its potentially significant impact in the small island community. Trinity Chambers have not appealed the decision according to the ODPA. The money if paid will be sent to the States of Guernsey General Revenue Account. We've approached Trinity Chambers LAP for a statement, but at the time of joined the broadcast we've not received any news from them. To Nottinghamshire now, where a data breach at Sandycliff, a car dealership which has five showrooms across Nottinghamshire, suffered a data breach in February this year after an employee opened a link in an unsolicited email. So, in other words, they found victim to a phishing attack. It's understood that in the data breach, the bank account details and medical histories of potentially thousands of people were stolen. Those affected by the incident were recently alerted by Sandy Cliff to confirm their personal data had been breached. This included both current and past employees, as well as customers. Among the details believed to have been stolen by the hackers were people's names, dates of birth, bank account numbers and sort codes, national insurance numbers, passport scans, salary levels and medical histories. However, the amount of data taken is understood to vary for each individual, depending on their role in the company and how much information was held on record. The cyber attack has been reported by Sandy Cliff to the ICO, but the ICO have said that no further action will be taken. However, it's understood that data breach specialist CEL solicitors are currently discussing breaches with a number of people affected by the hack. The firm is warning staff and customers to remain vigilant and notify their bank immediately if they think they could have had their data stolen. Mark Montaldo, a director at CEL solicitors, said, We've seen time and time again how cyber criminals are becoming more sophisticated in the way they access personal sensitive information and how they go about using this data. 
In the case of Sandy Cliff, it is concerning that there appears to have been a significant delay in notifying those who may have yet have had their data breached, but it's essential that you notify your bank as soon as possible if you think you've been affected. In a statement, the managing director for Sandy Cliff, Paul Woodhouse, said, We can confirm Sandy Cliff experienced a cybersecurity breach as a result of a sophisticated attack by a third party. As soon as we became aware, we took immediate steps to contain and remedy the breach, and security was quickly re-established. Sandy Cliff take data and IT security extremely seriously, and this breach did not affect our ability to operate. We have also complied with all our legal requirements and have notified relevant affected individuals. As a relevant regulator, the ICO were notified and after assessment have confirmed that they will not be taking further action. Important. If you have customers, staff or suppliers in the EU, GDPR is changing from 1st of January. To find out more, listen to our special live edition of the show on 17th November at 2pm GMT. Go to Zoom either on your mobile device or by going to https colon slash slash zoom.us slash join in your browser and you then need the webinar ID and passcode. The webinar ID is 851-1483-4155 and the passcode is 722-009. So that's webinar ID 851-1483-4155 and the passcode is 722-009. A data breach at popular stock photo and vector site 123RF has resulted in a hacker stealing over 8.3 million user data records. 123RF is one of the largest online repositories of stock photos, audio, video and other royalty-free content, boasting over 12 million monthly active users, daily content contributed by around 300,000 artists and offering over 110 million creative works to the online users worldwide. This Thursday, it was reported that a known data breach broker was found on a hacker forum saying a massive 123RF database that contained over 8.3 million records. The broker shared a sample of the database that revealed the database contained personal data such as the names, phone numbers, addresses, email addresses, IP addresses and MD5 hash passwords of 123RF's users. Imagine Group, the company that owns 123RF, has confirmed that it suffered a massive data breach stating that a hacker was able to gain access to user records after breaching the server located at their data centre. In a statement, Imagine Group said, We are actively notifying the necessary authorities and 123RF.com members to work with them to remedy the situation. We are also tightening the security policies to include tighter passwords and IP detection to combat suspicious logins. Our security infrastructure is always under a constant state of security testing, penetration and development, especially in the past year. We wish to reiterate that we take the privacy and data of our customers seriously and have all times been vigilant with the handling of our customers' data. One issue is that the passwords have been encrypted using MD5 and it's known now that MD5 can be reverse engineered to get the passwords even though they've been encrypted. When we receive any further update from 123RF.com we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. It was good to hear that 123RF.com have an active programme of penetration testing if you hold large volumes of data on your systems and you'd like to have some penetration testing conducted on a regular basis or even just as a one-off to see where your weaknesses lie, please either email us at helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or telephone us on 0800 808 5312. That's the UK number, 0800 808 and we'd be delighted to set up some penetration testing for you. 
to Australia now, and Australian holidaymakers could have had their credit card numbers and personal details stolen in a massive data breach at some booking websites. Expedia, Agoda, Booking.com, Hotels.com and other companies that all use the cloud hospitality backend have been exposed to the possible data breach. Spanish company Prestige Software, which owns the software that automates and synchronises the hotel availabilities, has confirmed that there was a breach of their systems this week. Expedia said it was aware of the breach, but it did not impact its systems directly. The security of our customers is a key priority for us and something we take very seriously, it said. We continue to work with Cloud Hospitality to assess the impact it may have had on any of our customers. It's believed that customers' names, addresses, phone numbers, identification documents, credit card information and private booking details were reportedly exposed in the breach. With detailed information about a person's hotel reservation, a hacker with access to the exposed files could take these details, contact the hotel and change the dates and names on the reservation. They could then take over someone's holiday without paying or pose as a travel agent and sell the reservations to unsuspecting customers. It's also revealed that the hackers could use identifying information to find embarrassing material about hotel guests and use it for blackmail. The breach was discovered due to a flaw in the popular form of cloud-based storage known as the Amazon Web Services S3 Bucket. Regular listeners to the GPUBWitch show will know that a number of times now we have reported on data breaches caused by data being stored in Amazon Web Services S3 Buckets. And it is very important if you use Amazon Web Services S3 that you ensure that the latest security patches were always installed. It is understood that as soon as the company became aware of the data breach, they secured the data the following day. This is still very much an active investigation, so if we receive any updates, we will of course bring them to you in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Another potentially significant data hack now at technology and culture news website Mashable, which has announced that the personal data of users has been discovered in a leaked database posted on the internet. In a statement issued on November the 8th, Mashable confirmed that a database containing information from readers who made use of the platform's social media signing feature had been found elsewhere online. The media company said that a hacker known for targeting websites and apps was responsible for the data breach. The suspect has not been named. Leaked data is said to include the full names, locations, email addresses, genders, IP addresses and links to social media profiles of users. Based on our review, the database related to a feature that in the past had allowed readers to use their social media account sign-in, such as Facebook or Twitter, to make sharing content from Mashable easier, the statement reads. All affected accounts have been disabled as a precaution. No password data is believed to have been taken. Mashable also stressed that it does not store any user's financial information. Mashable, which was founded back in 2005, produces both a US and UK edition and has a reported 45 million unique monthly visitors. The site, which reports on technology and science news as well as entertainment and pop culture, has warned users to be wary of possible phishing campaigns as a result of the incident. Be careful of emails with links to unfamiliar sites, it said. If you receive a suspicious email related to Mashable, please consider contacting Mashable at secure at mashable.com so that they can investigate further. The company also reminded users not to share any passwords, personal details or payment information with third parties. We appreciate your attention to this important topic and sincerely apologise for any concern or inconvenience this incident may cause. Protecting our users' data is one of our highest priorities. We are working hard to investigate the issue and prevent it from happening again, Mashable said. Back in episode 107 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we brought in news of a huge data breach in the island of Malta. 
and this week we learn that three voters have demanded a 10 million euro fine for the IT firm behind the data breach. In the data breach, 337,384 Maltese voters had their data leaked. Their complaint comes a month after more than 620 claimants filed a joint lawsuit claiming EU data protection laws were breached by the data leak and asked the civil courts to quantify and award them damages for harm suffered due to the breach. The collective action was led by the Daphne Caruna Galizia Foundation and Republica. News of the breach first surfaced in April when it emerged that a database belonging to Sea Planet IT Solutions Limited, which included personal data belonging to 337,384 voters, was left exposed online in what the company described as a mishap involving old data. Data included names and surnames, ID card details, phone numbers and addresses of users. Online monitoring service under the breach first announced the breach, tweeting that the data had been left exposed by the Maltese IT company. The company is owned by Philip Perugier, a former production director at One Productions, the media wing of the Maltese Labour Party. When we receive further details of this case from the Maltese Data Protection Authority, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GPR Weekly Show. The European Data Protection Board, the EDPB, has adopted recommendations to assist data exporters with evaluating countries to ensure that they're adhering to the EU's level of protection required under GDPR and finding further measures as needed. These recommendations have been awaited following the SREMS 2 case, which we've reported in previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. And if you need more detail on the SREMS 2 case, you should refer back to episode 100 of the GDPR Weekly Show and have a listen to that episode where we talked in length about the ruling. In its recommendations, the EDPB said that supervisory authorities will continue exercising their mandate to monitor the application of GDPR and enforce it. Supervisory authorities will pay due consideration to the actions exporters take to ensure that the data they transfer is afforded an essentially equivalent level of protection. While it acknowledges that mapping all transfers of personal information to third countries can be a challenging exercise, the board recommends that exporters know their transfers as a first step. Then exporters should verify the tool on which their transfer depends if the European Commission hasn't decided that that country, region or actor to which they are transferring the data is adequate. After that time, the board recommends that exporters find if anything in the legislation or practice of the third country could hamper the effectiveness of appropriate security measures or the transfer tools they were depending on in the context of their transfers, they should review their status and whether they still wish to continue with the export of the data. The board identified the five main Article 46 GDPR transfer tools. These include binding corporate rules, standing data protection clauses, certification mechanisms, code of conduct and ad hoc contractual clauses. If you need more information on these... Please firstly listen to our Brexit special edition of the GDPR Weekly Show, which is going out this Tuesday, the 17th of November at 2pm GMT. And if you require further help, then please contact us at helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or telephone us on 0800 808 5312. Important. If you have customers, staff or suppliers in the EU, GDPR is changing from 1st of January. To find out more, listen to our special live edition of the show on 17th November at 2pm GMT. To go to Zoom, either on your mobile device or by going to https colon slash slash zoom.us slash join in your browser, and you then need the webinar ID and passcode. The webinar ID is 851-1483-4155. And the passcode is 
So that's webinar ID 851-1483-4155 and the passcode is 722-009. And finally this week we have news that Instagram is struggling with the EU's GDPR rules as it tries to introduce new technology into its app. The Facebook-owned app wants to bring new tools in the UK and Europe that can better identify suicide and self-harm content. This kind of content breaks Instagram's rules and can have severe implications for users. The new moderation tools are able to more proactively spot self-harm content and automatically make it less visible in the app, and in some cases, remove it completely after 24 hours if the machine learning is competent that it breaks Instagram's rules. The feature is already used on Facebook and Instagram outside the EU, where it includes additional layers which also see posts referred to human reviewers once spotted, who can then take further actions such as connecting the poster to local help organisations and in the most severe cases calling the emergency services. However, Instagram confirmed these referral aspects are not yet ready to be introduced in the UK and Europe because of data privacy considerations linked to GDPR. The social media giant said it hoped it would be able to introduce the full set of tools in the future. Tara Hopkins, Instagram's Public Policy Director in Europe, said, In the EU at the moment, we can only use that mix of sophisticated technology and human review element if a post is reported just directly by a member of the Instagram community. She said that because in a small number of cases an assessment would be made by a human reviewer on whether to send additional resources to a user, this could be considered by regulators to be a mental health assessment and therefore as part of special category data which received greater protection under GDPR. Ms Hopkins said the company was in discussions with the Irish Data Protection Commission, the DPC, Facebook's lead regulator in the EU, and others over the tools and potential introduction in the future. There are ongoing conversations that have been very constructive and there's a huge amount of sympathy for what we're trying to achieve and that balancing out the privacy and the safety of our users, she said. Fears about the impact of social media on vulnerable people have increased amid cases such as that of 14-year-old schoolgirl Molly Russell, who took her own life in 2017, was found to have used harmful content online. In September, Facebook, Instagram and others were able to agree guidelines published by the Samaritans in an effort to set industry standards on how to handle the issue. We wish Instagram success in this because we think it is an important issue and if we receive any update from them or indeed from the Irish DPC, we will of course bring it to you as soon as we can on it here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Stay in. Stay safe. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. And cut. That's a wrap. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity. Until next time, bye-bye.